So hello and welcome to the Par 5 Podcast. My name is Andy and I run a website called Andy's Golf Blog, which as the name suggests is a blog all about golf. Range of different things on there. You can find out about um, tour event previews and reviews. I've got course and product reviews and also just blogging my general journey as an amateur golfer. I also run an Instagram account under the same name, so Andy's Golf Blog, and you can find me on Twitter under the same name. So if you haven't been on my page or my website, please do head over and uh, say hi. Love to hear from anybody who's basically got an interest in golf. Now, this isn't the first time that I have um, run a podcast series. I started one last year, and like most things, I came up with an idea and I started it, and then I didn't really keep it going. I think the problem was they were very, very short and I didn't have a good setup. So I thought getting my podcast back off the ground under the same name, but this time I'm going to run them as longer podcasts on a range of subjects. So each week I'll be talking about the um, tour event that has happened the week before, a short recap on that. We'll be having a look at uh, tour events in the future, so watch events on the European Tour, the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour are coming up. I'll also talk a lot about my own golf journey because one of the things I really, really like about Instagram is the amount of people I've met with, I've talked to about their golf journey and and shared my own journey with. So it's really nice to be able to communicate with other people and just share ideas about what sort of thing um, everybody's working on and what goals people have set for their own golfing um not career, unfortunately, but for their own golfing journeys. So I'll be sharing what I've been working on for the the week. And the idea is to hopefully bring this podcast to you guys on a, a weekly basis. I'm also looking to get other people involved. So I've already spoken to a few people from Instagram who I would love to set up a chat with, even if it's just chatting about general golf. As I said, I'm always interested to hear what other people are doing and what what interests around golf other people have. But I would also like to have some people on who run golf businesses or work in the golf industry. So I have a few different contacts that um, I've already spoken to who I'm going to pull in. So I would uh, hopefully over the next few episodes, I'll have some really interesting people who've got interesting stories to tell around golf. Anyway, let's start off with a little recap from the, the golfing world and in particular the PGA Tour. So as Pretty much everybody who has an interest in golf will know. Last week we had the uh, FedEx Cup playoff final, so the Tour Championship, which was won by Dustin Johnson. Really comes as no surprise, to be honest. He started the week on minus 10, so the world number one was two strokes ahead of the world number two, John Ram, And he basically continued the form on and, uh, and ended up winning by three strokes in the end. So not only did he win that title, which is the first time he's won that, but he won a $15 million bonus. So incredible amount of money up for grabs at these uh, these golf events, especially on the PGA Tour. Now, don't be feeling too bad for Xander Shoffley or Justin Thomas, who both came in second or tied second. Um, they still walked away with $4.5 million. So although they didn't quite win the, uh, the playoff in the end, they still took home a pretty hefty uh, paycheck. Interestingly, though, Shoffley missed a relatively good chance on the last hole to uh, to secure a birdie which would have given solo second and uh, five million dollars so a putt missed was five hundred thousand dollars which is just a crazy amount of money um, and he actually finished second last year as well so it's his second second in a row 
So nine and a half million for playing two events in two years is is a pretty good going for uh, for the young man. The as I said, the amount of money on offer though for the the PGA Tour is absolutely astonishing. So if you look down the list of the thirty players who took part, Billy Horschel who came thirtieth, so he came last in the FedEx Cup playoffs, three hundred and ninety five thousand dollars just for essentially turning up and playing four rounds of golf. I mean, I've paid for that privilege before to even just play uh, four rounds of golf. $400,000. It's unreal. Um, I think that just goes to kind of show just why players want to be involved and want to get out there and play on the PGA Tour. I remember a couple of years ago, Rory McIlroy had said that he would like to focus more on the PGA Tour than on the European Tour. And he was absolutely slated for it online. And it, it kind of got me thinking, there's there's so much more to a player and so much more benefit to playing on the PGA Tour, in my eyes, than playing on the European Tour. So the money aside, because for these guys, whilst it's a huge amount of money, it's for them it's all about winning. But the idea of being able to be based in America, to have the weather all year round, to play on all these different competitions in different states... Why would you not want to be playing there each week in the heat for six and a half, seven million dollars compared to going over and playing in Turkey or, you know, Spain or Portugal, which by all means are nice places, but for prize pots of a, you know, a total of one million euros, it just doesn't seem worth it. Um, now, the great thing about the, the FedEx Cup is obviously, as I said, DG won in the end by three strokes, and he'd been he'd been showing signs of form since we, we resumed after the uh, the players' suspension, after the players' championship, and over the course of the events, I mean, he hit two rounds of, what, 80 at Muirfield, and uh, didn't make the weekend, he then withdrew from the next event, but then after that, he seemed to come onto a bit of form, and uh, for me, I think it was his putting that really, really improved for him, so he was sinking so many long putts, I mean, he's his putt to secure a playoff place two weeks ago was, was unreal. I think it was about 48 foot. And obviously Ram then went and made an even bigger one in the, the first playoff hole, which was, which is uh, pretty unbelievable, to be honest. But for me, that's that's where DG kind of really turned his season around. So he's always been a bit, I think, a bit ropey with the putter, but he certainly seemed to get it going. And it made me think a few a few months ago when for one event he turned up and he was using the, the uh, tailor-made truss, and it, to be honest with you, it was a putter really, really didn't like the look of. But I've never seen another pro use it. And then he turned up and put his spider to rest that weekend, brought the truss out, and he was absolutely horrendous with it. And then obviously he went back to his spider, and, and I couldn't get my head around why he had gone away from a putter that he'd putted with fairly well and won a lot of events with to this new putter. And I can only assume it's probably somebody at TaylorMade who was looking to try and shift some more of these um, after relatively, probably relatively poor sales. Um, so based on his recent performances, I don't think DJLBM will be putting that putter um, back on the shelf anytime soon. I think it'll be staying firmly in the bag. Um, but his record this year speaks for itself. You know, seven top tens, including two seconds. He was second at the PGA Championship, um, obviously behind Morikawa, who, who went on to win that. But three wins, seven top tens and two seconds is... It's an incredible record um, for anybody. So, yeah, not too surprised to see him walk away with the, the massive payday there. But I, I think, to be honest, I, I've really enjoyed that format. I know the, the first year when they introduced the kind of players starting on um, on certain scores under par, 
I wasn't too keen on it. But I think over the last couple of years, they, they've led to really kind of exciting finishes. Uh, this year's event, um, certainly on Saturday, which was the second day, the top four players had a nightmare. John Ram was four over, I think. Rory McIlroy was one over, Justin Thomas was one over, and it gave, gave a really good opportunity for some of the guys further down the field to climb up. So, um, Morikawa, Hatton, they put in good rounds of like 65, 66, which really brought them up. But the interesting thing was that DJ only hit two fairways, but I think he still finished one under. It was one of the kind of most mediocre rounds I've seen from a professional golfer. Probably quite difficult playing alongside Ram, who was playing so poorly. But for him, it was obviously vital to get in and not lose his lead too much. And I think by securing that round of one under, um, it really kind of helped him kind of stay out there, stay in front. Although his his, uh, his lead was was cut short, he then obviously over the the Sunday and the Monday managed to extend that. And his performance on the the Monday was was excellent. You know, he he led from start to finish, even playing the final hole where obviously a um. You know, things could have gone a bit wrong for him, but he, he just played a lovely drive down the middle, found the bunker of his second shot, but a relatively routine um, bunker shot out in a putt, and that, and that was it. So, um, yeah, great performance from DJ, and uh, as I said, a worthy winner there at the, the Tour Championship. So, um, the other event that took place was the Andalusia Masters over at Valderrama in Spain. That um, course where the, the European Tour visited is absolutely stunning like it's such a nice course when you're watching the players play it but that's the most brutal I have uh, I have seen it certainly in a long time really enjoy watching that event and it's great when when they go there and I think for me it's that idea of it being back in Spain um, I've only been fortunate enough to play golf in Spain once which was a it was a great trip away with the guys and I'd love to go back the the courses over there it's just a different you know it's a different type of golf um, so yeah, it brings back some some memories watching a little bit of golf in Spain there, but it just looked so challenging. Um, coming into the final round, there was only one man under par, so John Catlin, who went on to win, and that was his first European Tour win, um, in about thirty, I think it was about thirty three or thirty four starts, but he was the only player going into the final round under par, and even then, I think he was only about one under, if that. Um, but. Incredibly, he, he won €200,000, so he's won his first European Tour event, a, a brutal four days, great performance, and he walks home with half, basically, of what Billy Horschel won, uh, sorry, Billy Horschel won um, for coming 30th in, in the FedEx Cup, so it, it shows you where the money is, and as I said, there's a real incentive for players to drop the European Tour um, to go across, but... I mean, I would still I'd be more than happy with two hundred grand, of course. Um, that's probably about seven or eight times the average salary for for most workers in the UK. But yeah, so well, well done to to Catlin though for that win. So, um, Martin Keimer came second, and that's that's the you know his, his second really good finish in two weeks. So he came tied third at the UK Championship the weekend before. Then he finishes second there. So he's obviously really trying. I think he released a sort of not a statement, but a message on. Um, on Instagram and Twitter shortly after, just talking about how disappointed he is. But it's really great to see him back out there and back performing. I don't think he's too far away from another win, to be honest. And I would love to see Keimer win again. I really enjoy watching him play golf. Um, and it's great to see him back with uh, the wee man on the bag. Um, it reminds me of when I went to watch some at King's Barnes, actually. And I got told off um, for for chatting I thought we were being really quite discreet at the the little raised hill above the green um, at the Dunhill 
um, links. And I was having a little chat. We, we thought we were quiet. And next thing I heard is, Oi! And I looked down and the wee man was pointing up at me and, and shouting. So, um, yeah, told off by Keimer's caddy. So, um, but yeah, I would, I would love to see him getting back up to, to where he deserves to be because I think he's far too good not to be. I mean, he's won two majors. He's definitely got, got the game in there. But hopefully... Um, with there being plenty of European Tour events left before the end of the year, we'll maybe see him getting another, um, you know, another win to his name. He did finish with two bogeys in the last three holes, and he ended up losing by one stroke. So obviously, his five on the par four last hole. If he had managed to par that, he could have been in a playoff, and it could have been um, could have been completely different for him. But hey, that's how um, golf is. Right, so looking ahead to this week, uh, it's golf PGA Tour. So the new season begins. The bad thing is it begins immediately after. So we've we've just wrapped up one season, and then it kickstarts straight away with the the Safeway Open at Silverado Resort in California. So, um, the guys are straight back out there. Six and a half million dollar prize pot this week, as is pretty much the norm for a, a PGA Tour event. And obviously, a big thing is the uh, FedEx Cup points, which will already be going to uh, to guys who finish quite strongly. And it's a good way to kind of kick off your season, get some points on the board. Phil Mickelson is the uh, is the favourite, obviously, off the back of his uh, Champions Tour debut and win. Um, Shane Lowry's taken part, Sergio Garcia, um, Jordan Spieth and Charlie Hoffman. So a couple of big names in there amongst a lot of names that you'll probably maybe not be familiar with or guys who have managed to, to get their card for uh, for this season. But I think it's, it's good prep for these guys for the US Open, obviously being able to play the week before. A lot of the big names, they'll be heading out to Wingfoot to try and get some practice room um, rounds in. So the guys who played in the, the FedEx Cup playoff, basically very few, if not any of them, are, are taking part this week. So they'll probably be looking to rest up and then uh, make a, a good bit of prep for the US Open. But for the other guys taking part, obviously keep some loose and uh, you never know what, what chance they'll have. I would love to see Jordan Spieth get another win. <laughs> I'm rooting for him every single week. I've always really liked Spieth. I think seems like a really decent guy. And he just seems to be kind of lost lost his way a bit. He'll have one really good round, and he'll have a poor round, and he'll have maybe a good round, and he'll have another poor round. Or he'll just seem to have a really good round, and then just a terrible round that will prevent him from making the cut. And I think, much like Keimer, I think he's far too good not to be competing. I know obviously the standard is so high now in the PGA Tour. His chances of winning are, unless he really gets the putter going again, are, are pretty slim. But I just can't understand how somebody could putt so well and then suddenly just really kind of struggle with, with the putter. I know in times his, his putting's kind of improved, but there was a time when he, I think he'd hit something like 130 putts within six foot without missing. Which is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, he's he's taking part this week. And I, I would really like to see him get a good season in there and, and make the playoffs next year and hopefully pick up a couple of wins. Because, as I said, he seems like a decent guy. And he is a, he is a class golfer. Um, so this year there's 50 events. 50 events taking part in place. And six of them are majors. Normally we have four, obviously, in a, in a season. But we have... Um, the U.S. Open, which was which was obviously delayed slightly or postponed, and we've got the Masters taking pie taking place in November. So, I do think that would be a really good opportunity for McIlroy to to hopefully get his win. It'll be interesting to see what the Masters is like when they're they're playing Augusta in November. Obviously, none of us will have uh, witnessed that before. It's going to be quite 
quite weird. Also, watching it without the fans. Um, certainly when you know when they crowd around like the, um, the various sort of places like the twelfth tee and stuff. Um, it's 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 quite strange. Imagining how Augusta's going to be not seeing any fans, but I think for the players they'll probably um, enjoy that. If I'm honest. Now, also this season, um, the the Zozo has moved to the US, so that took place obviously in Asia last year, um, as well as the, the WGC HSBC Champions event has also been cancelled. So they've moved one from Asia to US and they've cancelled the, the other one, so there won't be any taking place in Asia this year, um, or this season should I say, with the exception of golf at the Olympics, if that is going to take place in uh, 2021. But the um yeah the, so the two other events one's moved to US and one has been cancelled, and then aside from that obviously we've got the the US Open next week at Wingfoot which is going to be a really really exciting one. I think the US Opens are always great events to look forward to because they set the courses up to be immensely challenging, and it was great to see you know Dustin Johnson win by what eleven strokes at thirty under um three or four weeks ago. Then the following week was an absolute like a, a tough slog for the players, and then when we watched the the event uh, just there, it was kind of like somewhere in between. So it wasn't too difficult, but not necessarily um, too easy for the players. When you look at the European Tour um, event at the Andalusia Masters at Valderrama, I remember seeing a little clip with Andy Sullivan who talked about on the course um, just how difficult it was. Now he was four off the lead. After the first round, so he was two over, leader was on two under, so it shows you just how difficult it was. And he was leading the European Tour stats for um, for scoring average, so I thought, he's got a great chance this week. And then he goes out the next day and he, he finishes, in, what, 10 over. So he's 10 over par, but the cut fell on 9 over. So how often have you seen an event where a cut is at 9 over? And imagine he's sitting there thinking, I've got no chance comes into the, the clubhouse and then at 10 over he actually still had a chance of uh, of making the weekend but the the Tim Barter interviewed him on the, uh, on the course on the Friday and he had mentioned just how difficult it was and he said it felt basically like playing one of the the majors it was that tough with the wind and I remember seeing some comments online from people saying well it's 25 mile an hour wind I play in that every week um, and I, I was one of those people playing at Burnt Island in 20-25 mile an hour winds each week but I think the difference is we're playing holes that are maybe par 4s of 380 or 90 yards these guys are playing par 4s that are 460 to 490 yards so playing in that wind but with a much stronger wind uh, a much longer hole can be <laughs> obviously just a little bit more difficult but you know they are pros at the end of the day. Um, but it was great to see an event which wasn't just won by somebody by an absolute mile. It's nice to see the players having to really work for it. And I like the idea of courses where certainly on the back nine, a lot can go wrong and players can quite easily hit a birdie or they can quite easily hit a couple of bogeys or double bogeys um, and, and the lead can, can chop and change. So those kind of events are exciting. And I think that's hopefully what we'll see with uh, with the US Open in a couple of weeks' time. Um, also looking ahead on the European Tour, so there's still loads of events to take place um, all the way up until December actually. So obviously with uh, a lot of the events which were, were postponed, we're now getting through those. There's still some really good Rolex events to take place. Um, so we've got the Scottish Open, we've got the BMW PGA Championship which is a flagship event. And also the Scottish Championship that's taking place up at the Fairmont in, uh, in St Andrews. 
But this week they're heading to uh, to Portugal, and that'll be a, a really kind of interesting one. The event was won in 2019 by Stephen Brown. And I remember seeing him winning that and thinking, I have no idea who this guy is. But this is kind of what the certainly the European Tour is like now. There's so many players coming through, and I think on you know, on anyone's day they, they can win. There doesn't for me seem to be a really dominant force, certainly in the European tour, that there there once was. Um so there's there's a couple of players obviously have maybe won a couple of times this year, but there's not for me every week one sort of standout player like you're seeing um maybe in the the PGA tour just now. So um yeah it'll be a, a good good week. Tommy Fleetwood is uh, teeing it up. We've got George Kutsia, um Hang Tong Lee, we've got Paul Waring, um Last week's winner, John Catlin's playing, and also Alexander Levey. He's a man I always, always bet on, and he has a nightmare every time. And then when I don't pick him, he seems to just come out and put in a great round. And and I think he's another classy golfer. But, uh, yeah, I, I won't pick him anymore because he, he always does me, does me wrong. But I think Fleetwood, obviously the favourite this week, will be good prep again, getting a round in before, or four rounds in before the, um, the US Open. But... Obviously, he's this side of the water. He's going to fly across, so it'll be interesting to see how he how he performs at that. But there's yeah, there's any number of players could could win over in Portugal, um, this week. And uh, on the LPGA Tour, they've got their second major of the season. So this usually takes place as the first major, which is an inspiration, um, and they're playing at Mission Hills over in California. So a couple of events in California this year, or this week, should I say, um. But one thing I read, which is I've never heard of this, is due to the heat or the expected high heat and high temperatures, caddies are allowed to take buggies. So they won't have to walk if they don't want to. They're welcome to take a buggy. But the players will still have to walk. So they can drive alongside uh, their player. But uh, unfortunately for the players, they will need to walk. But there's um, one of the players, I can't remember her name, but for the last few events, she's just been pulling her cart. (laughs) So she's pulling her little buggy along with her clubs in. She's not had a caddy. Um, and I think after the first event where she didn't have a caddy in her bubble, she's just decided that she's quite enjoyed it. She doesn't mind carrying her clubs um, or pulling them along and she's going to stick with it. So good on her. Um, so she won't need to, need to, to pay for a caddy fee for a, a couple of events. But um, this this should be a good one. The only thing is the defending champion, um, Jin Young Ko, who's number one in the Rolex um, rankings, has decided not to travel and play with this one, obviously due to, to COVID and whatnot. And uh, Charlie Hill won't be teeing it up because she's tested positive to uh, COVID. So obviously there's now been a couple of players on, on all of the tours really who have um, tested positive. So there there certainly seems to be um, obviously still a risk for, for the players. But obviously if they're mixing with other people outside of the events and flying in, it's like anything, anybody could could catch this. Now um, in... General golf news. General golf news. Fans will be taken um to the Champions Tour event this week. So for the three days, they're allowing fans in, which is quite, it's quite new, obviously, back into the tour. So I think in in Spain last week we had a couple of fans in, but they were not so much fans, more corporate guests. Um, you could see them on the fairways, but basically they're allowing fans in for the three days in the Champions Tour event. Obviously, it's going to be restricted amounts. So it's not going to be thousands and thousands and thousands uh, packing their way in. But uh, everybody who enters is required to get a temperature check and they're strongly encouraged, but not enforced, to uh, to be wearing their masks. Also, they're not allowed to get autographs um, and they can only purchase pre-packaged food. So 
quite interesting they're allowing fans in. Obviously, they've they've thought about this and they've they've taken you know the right measures. But it's an interesting one because I was talking to somebody recently, um, one of my, my colleagues who often helps out and volunteers at golf events, uh, certainly in Scotland. And he had been volunteering at the Ladies Scottish Open, which took place in August at the Renaissance. And um, he, he said it was a really kind of unique experience. So leading up to the event, he had to fill in various forms every single day, enlisting um, his uh, temperature and his conditions and whatnot and then when he arrived he had to get a temperature check and he had to wear a mask but the interesting thing was he wasn't allowed to view any golf so once he had done his duties and um, done the scoring that he was doing he had to leave the site so normally what he says is they'll get to to walk around and watch the golf for a little bit and um, and enjoy it after their shift for him it was very much you're finished and you need to get off site but he said that it was it was top class. Everybody was, you know, making sure that people were following the the protocol. They had their masks on. They were getting their temperatures taken. They were socially distanced. He said it was really really kind of well run. And I think that's what it's like, probably uh, across the board with these events. One thing he did say to me was that he um, they normally get paid by um, a a credit voucher. So of course they get the the clothing supplied free of charge but they get a £10 meal voucher each day to use um, at the vans. But because the vans weren't there this year for catering, they got given a, um, a sleeve of Pro V1s every single day. So you got four um, packs of Pro V1s, which is not bad at all. So they're about the equivalent value. Um, but I think, if I'm honest, I would probably rather some uh, some Pro V1s to lose on my own course than, uh, than a little voucher for the burger vans. So um, it was quite nice to get a little bit of insider uh, information from him and i think he'll be helping out at the uh, the scottish open and also the scottish championships this year as well so it's definitely something i would like to do in in years to come um, i think right now i don't really have the time to commit to four days and any training you get but i think there's there's a lot of really good fun roles and i've seen him a few times at the events even little things like on the practice screen sweeping up the balls for the players and stuff so um yeah i think it's definitely something i'll look to do in the future but I'll maybe wait until the whole COVID thing's over so I can get my... Uh, actually, maybe I should do it now so I can get my free Pro V1s. Um, so a little bit of uh, golf club news as well. Titleist have launched their, their TSI uh, 2 and the TSI 3 drivers. I think these look absolutely stunning. Um, everything Titleist produces tends to be really nice. Their drivers, for me, are head and shoulders above um, other, other brands, certainly in looks, and... I can't really say performance because I'm still playing with a, um, a 910D2, so my, my driver's probably about 10 years old. Um, but it's got a beautiful sound, and that's that's the kind of key with the title stuff. I think the sound of them is always this lovely thump and not a kind of high-pitched, tinny sound that I feel you you sometimes get from the, the tailor-made drivers. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're immensely popular by players and um, on tour and uh, uh, local clubs, but... I, there's just something about the the Titleist drivers that for me they look better and they they sound better and and they, yeah they tend to be really nice clubs so I'll probably get my hands on one of those um in about ten or fifteen years when the price drops down they're not out of the shops just now so they're going through what they call their seeding and validation process and that's basically where they give them to the pros and they get them to use them on the course and at various events they then give them feedback they do some tweaking. And, uh, and they hit the market. So you'll probably see some players using them either on the European Tour this week 
or um, over on the, the PGA Tour. So do look out for those. Um, I've seen quite a few people sharing them on Instagram. They seem to, to have gone down pretty well. So yeah, titles TSI um, 2 and 3 drivers will be out very, very soon. Right, so um, a little update about my myself. Um, I didn't really do much golfing over the last two weeks, if I've been honest, because I've been stuck in the house doing decorating, which uh, many would think is probably my favourite pastime, and it's certainly not. But I'm of the mindset, if I get this done now, then I can enjoy golf um, and not spend my weekends doing DIY. But I suspect it's probably going to be a never-ending cycle. There's always going to be something that needs decorated or um, painted. However, I did manage to squeeze a little bit of golf in on Monday. So for those of you who don't know, I'm a member of a society in my work where they run regular golf events. <laughs> They're called the, it's called the Sausages, <laughs> which is a ridiculous name and quite embarrassing to be honest. A major member of the Sausage Society. Um, it stands for something like Scottish Ancient Universities. Um, yeah, and I can't even remember the rest of it. Scottish Ancient Universities, um, golf, and here's me just trying to remember how to spell sausages. But anyway, that's what it stands for. And uh, yeah, it's a great group of guys. There's men and women from across the university and uh, where we work. And we basically play usually about six or seven events a year. And they're always for trophies and you win some golf balls as well um, if you if you manage to win one of them. So this week I was the defending champion for a lovely little trophy. It's like a mini claret drug. And uh, I've had that for the last two years, so I've won it two years running. And the format is uh, Stableford morning round and afternoon round. And then what we do is we take an eclectic score, so your best Stableford points for each hole over the two rounds, um, and you get your winner. So I was defending over in Eyemouth. Now, when I agreed to play and got the day off work, I didn't realise where Eyemouth was. I just signed up because I wanted to go and try and defend the trophy. Um, it turns out we were teeing off just after 8 o'clock and Eyemouth is about an hour and 45 minutes away. So it's over on the east coast, um, which is where I stay, but it's further down past Edinburgh, out past East Lothian and towards um, Berwick-upon-Tweed. So it's actually quite close to the <laughs> the um, the border. Um, anyway, it's it was stunning, absolutely stunning. It's a beautiful Lynx course. Um, I think that whole area down there, even leading through when you go past Long Nidre, um, areas like Archerfield and um, all of these courses down there, they're beautiful, beautiful link-style courses. But I think a lot of the focus in Scotland tends to be up towards St Andrews, up on the, the east coast, up in uh, Fifeway. And there's so many nice courses down past Edinburgh that, that are worth um, worth checking out. This course, if I'm honest, if this was up at St Andrews, you'd be looking at probably about 100 and £50 for it um, because it, it really was a, a beautiful course and um, really traditional link style there's a couple of holes maybe had a bit of a bit of a kind of parklandy feel towards the end of the course but essentially the the course just loops around the clubhouse that sits in the middle so it's there's a lot of walking involved and um, it was a par 72 6200 yards from the yellow and um, obviously with it being a links course and sitting perched up on the course uh, up on the hills, not only did you get a stunning view um, across the water and uh, of Eyemouth itself, but you also got a lot of wind. Um, so even first thing in the morning, the wind was, was really quite strong. Um, I played well for the front nine and poor for the back nine on both rounds, which if you're trying to make up Stableford in an eclectic manner, you have to have a good hole on every single hole. 
and uh, sadly for me that that wasn't the case so I was five I think five points short in the end of the eventual winner so um, I'll have to give the trophy back much to my wife's delight because it doesn't really go with the colourful decor in the house um, but uh, yeah a really really good course if you ever get the chance I would recommend it It's um, it's got a mixture of par threes that are uh, quite short and quite long the wind has a massive effect on those it felt like there was 25 dog legs and we only played 18 holes each round every hole seemed to be a dog leg but i love them because if you play a dog leg at like a parkland course a lot of times you've got to be really straight and you don't get to try and cut the corner but on this course there was ample opportunity a bit of risk and reward where you could take a long drive on over the out of bounds and um, where it was either markers or um, the sort of edge of the course and work the ball back onto the fairway or you could decide to go and, and try and kind of play it safe and that was like a recurring theme so some holes it just wasn't worth it in a driver but other holes if you went for it you then gave yourself a chance to get in the green on a par five and two but if you laid up then you'd have to go for for it in three um, so yeah really really kind of nice course a tough test of golf the hardest part of the course though wasn't the wind it wasn't the length of the holes it wasn't even the walk between holes. It was the greens. Um, all of the greens had undulations and a heck of a lot of them. They were either balls in the middle. There was either a massive slope from front to back. So you had to be really sensible about where you were playing the ball to on the green. If you happened to come up short or land on the slope and the pin was at the back, your ball was rolling right off, right off the green. I don't know how many putts I saw going streaming past the hole down and back off the green. Um, and personally, I putted pretty poorly, but they they were really really tough. Um, so if you do play the course, you need to make sure you've got a you've got a, a hot putter for that day. We got a great deal as well, fifty five pound for two rounds of golf, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, all of which was was superb. And that's a standard rate, so anybody could go and get that rate. Um, and and I think given the distance I travelled, it was really good to get the opportunity to play the two rounds. It, it felt worth it couple of things on the course that are worth uh, highlighting. The sixth hole is an absolutely stunning par three across a massive, massive drop. So you're basically on the cliff top. You've got 165 yards to the pin. 150 of that is basically carry. There's not much room to the right of the green. There's a big wall. Obviously, you can't go short because your ball basically falls off of a cliff. And if you go left, there's not much room before um, the out of bounds from the, the boundary of the course starts to come in and more cliffs. So you don't really see the hole until you come off the fifth green and you walk past a little wall and then it, it hits you. And even walking around to the the teeing area, it's it's just an incredible sight. Like it really was. It was breathtaking. And what you what you find is you're waiting on that tee and you're a bit indecisive and then you see the group in front and they maybe hit their ball into the into the ocean um, and you maybe hit, you know watch your playing partners put the ball down there or go long. And it is, it's one of these holes you've just got to pick your club, stick with it and go for it. Um, I made it over both times, so I parred it the first time after I landed on the green two putting. And I went way, way long with the same club the second time um, and didn't manage to get up and down, but got a bogey. Um, but I also saw a heck of a lot of players drop their ball into the, the water. So the, I think I put a poster, um, a post up on Instagram with some pictures of the hole. So do check it out. It is a beautiful, beautiful um, hole and actually it's probably the nicest par 3 I've, I've ever seen I definitely won't be forgetting it in a hurry 
The other thing is the 13th hole is the longest hole in Scotland. So you can play, it's called the, the Hockness Monster. And you can, they invite you to play from the very, very back tee, which uh, gives a total of 656 yards. Um, unfortunately, the guys at my work just wanted to go for the yellow tee, which was 590. So they didn't quite get to take on the Hockness Monster, unfortunately. Um, but it's a lovely hole. You're right up the top of the course at the highest point. You can see across the whole of Highmouth, the whole of the course, and you basically just have to grip it and rip it right down. Um, and the ball will travel down. It's all downhill. I think I managed a 336-yard um, drive, which is great for my shot scope um, stats because I managed to unlock my 330-yard uh, long drive medal. So I was chuffed about that. But even then, it's still too long. I think I was left about 260 into the the green um, on a downhill lie so you can't really go for it in two unless you're you're a big hitter but yeah another kind of stunning course and definitely a hole that I'll, uh, I'll not forget so hoping to get back to Eyemouth again in the future hoping to win that trophy back because I do really like it um, but if you get the chance to explore some of the courses down in that area um, along the entry as I mentioned earlier or or Eyemouth are definitely two that, that I would recommend from from that kind of region um, and very very well priced um, and the last little thing for me um, I have been doing some lunchtime practice so again I've posted on this uh, about this on Instagram but I've been trying to get out of my lunch breaks not because during lockdown we were out for that hour and I was getting some exercise in um, but because I want to improve my golf I've found that I've basically working from home just been sitting in all day and uh, maybe working through lunch and I'm now making a conscious effort to get out and use that one hour um, to, you know, to my, to my value and to, um, to work on my golf. So I've got it a few times. I've been doing a little bit of chipping work um, on the, the practice chipping area. Worked on my six iron the other day. So still trying to get the swing a little bit more um, on plane and, and less over the top, working on some of the fundamentals that um, Matt mentioned when, when I did some online coaching work with him. So I'll hopefully do a little podcast about that experience soon. Um, and also spend time on my putting because off the back of eye mouth, I realised my putting was poor and it wasn't the short putts. They're usually okay. It was more my lag putting was just not up to scratch. So even half an hour down at the putting green um, after some chipping, working on getting the, the long putts close to the, the hole and thinking about a kind of a bin area, a bin lid um, target around the hole. Is, is definitely um, something that I've been I've been working on because I was 1.9 putts for both rounds which is just it's not good enough it should be down at least about 29 or 30 um, if you want to score well and um, I thought I'd just finish up on one little subject that I saw online that I thought was quite interesting and it was around flag sticks and I, the reason I'm thinking about this is I just it just uh, occurred to me that during the, the round at Eyemouth um, one of the guys I played with when I was talking about the, the undulations on the green, he hit a, a beautiful putt which hit the flag uh, stick and then rolled all the way off the green and then he ended up duffing a chip and I think he walked off with what could have been a birdie. He walked off with something like a seven or an eight and uh, he completely lost his head and that, that was him for, for the round. And I was thinking about this um, flag stick situation. Obviously right now we just leave them in. Um, but our course recently posted online to say that they'd bought new pins for all the holes and they've got the little slim um, slim bases. So they go down from a thick pole and they're slim just above the cup. And I thought that's a fantastic idea because 
I always, when I'm out myself, just leave the pin in. I don't bother taking it out. But a lot of people were complaining in competitions that the ball would hit the pin and, and roll off and they'd miss parts. So this eradicates that. It takes out that problem because there's more than enough room for the ball to comfortably go in. Um, but I still saw some people be negative on the post. Oh, this is a waste of money. Why is the club buying this? Why don't we just take the pins out? Um, and it kind of got me thinking about after this, whether or not people would be comfortable just playing from now on with pins in. I know before COVID, we were able to leave pins in and some people chose to and some people didn't. But I did wonder if more or less people would start leaving the pin in now permanently, having putted for months on end with them in. Um, and I noticed there was a, a little kind of survey done and there was about 70% of people said that they, they, they don't want it, they won't be leaving it in. Um, they're, they're quite keen to, to take it out like in the olden times. So I guess not that many people have been have been converted to the new kind of ways of putting, but it's certainly something that I'll um yeah, I'll probably just be leaving it, certainly because we've got the new the new pins. Okay, so that brings me to the end of this first episode of my Par Five podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you found it interesting. And if there's anything that I've discussed in this one that you want to um to comment about Drop me a message on Instagram. Um, I'll probably post about this anyway, so you'll be able to comment on that. Or you can drop me a, a private message. Hopefully, in the future um, episodes, I will have a guest. So it won't just be me um, rambling on for, for 30 minutes or so. I've got some people lined up who I'm going to get in touch with, and hopefully we'll be able to get them on. Um, so that should be quite quite interesting. And as I mentioned at the top of the, the episode, it'll always be golf-related. So there'll be people from, hopefully, from the industry people who've got a, a common interest in golf um, or just anyone who wants to chat a little bit about golf. So um, anyway, that's all for me. Do head over to my blog or message me on Instagram if you fancy getting in touch. Um, you can find me at andysgolfblog.co.uk or just at andysgolfblog on Instagram. But for now, um, take care. Enjoy the rest of what's left of the golfing season and uh, hopefully you'll tune in for episode two. But see you soon.